Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. It's on page 1271. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of any kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in the scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who don't believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a royal nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him to, who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen. Friends, let's come to our God in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the freedom we have in this land to have it read to us, have it proclaimed. Father, we pray that you give us an understanding of your word this morning, that your Holy Spirit will empower us to receive this word and to live our lives in response to your word. Let us commit this time of our service to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, uh, this morning we will look at uh, the topic, basically, our identity, who we are. Our identity. Who are we, really? Uh, St. Stephen's Presbyterian Church has been in existence for how many years? Last year we celebrated. How many years? 125 years, right? 125 years. Uh, we were here, we celebrated the event. Now, who really are we? I wonder what people think about us, for example, when they drive past this church. They stop at the traffic lights, they see us coming on Sundays, they see this place busy during the weekdays, and then they drive past and they wonder, what are these people, who are they, what are they doing? What are they doing on Sundays? Surely they should be having a cafe latte somewhere and... Uh, and doing some other stuff, why do they really come on Sundays? What is going on? Who are we? Who are we really? Why are we here? Uh, what is our purpose for existence? Uh, we know that from God's point of view, our purpose for existence is really uh, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. But who are we as His people here, uh, here at St. Stephen's and beyond this place, the church universal, God's people scattered uh, throughout the world, the precious people of God, who are we? What is our identity? That's at the broader level. But let's narrow it down to the individual here this morning. Who really are you in God's sight? 
Uh, what is our purpose for existence having received grace? Where do we receive our identity, our self-esteem? Really, where does that come from? Well, the Apostle Peter uh, brings that out this morning, and that's what we're going to see this morning in terms of who we are really, and what God has done in our lives. Uh, last week, in our study of 1 Peter chapter 2, we noted that Jesus is the living stone, and that we are living stones in God's spiritual household. Each and every one of us, that is, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you are a living stone, joined to the living stone, and you are part of God's spiritual household that Christ himself is building. So don't put yourself down, but rather see yourself as a living stone in God's house, in God's spiritual building. Did you know that there were two brickies this last week who competed somewhere in the world? I forgot to actually pick up the news item. Did you ever see that news item? They were competing to be the best bricklayers. Two Aussie guys. I don't know whether they actually won the event or not. They did not. Look at that. They were out there doing their work, setting one brick upon the other to be the best bricky in the world. They know the importance of laying the bricks and having the cement in the right place. Anyone done uh, brick work here? Laying bricks? Well, I did a little bit of that work. You wouldn't believe it. I did it. Right? I, I laid bricks and as a young guy who was growing up and uh, had this little house going on and uh, and then later on, when I was a student, and I needed to earn my money. I mean, all students, we all money, don't we? This guy paid me well. He paid me, I think, about 20 bucks an hour. And I used to clean bricks. And the bricks was with all this acid. The, the, the acid, and I was standing on this six-inch wide beam on a high, I don't think there was work-safe rules at the time, on this ladder, and cleaning bricks, and boy, oh boy, the acid was crashing all over the place. What not a very nice work. I was a brick cleaner. But it was smart as well. I enjoyed it, and I worked with the brickies, and I saw them doing their work, a brick after brick, so that it all looked so nice. They did their work, and we went and cleaned all the stuff that was around the bricks. See, every one of us is a living stone in Christ. And that's what we see here in our passage here this morning. We're going to unpack that this today. And the Apostle Peter says, keep coming to Jesus, the living stone. This coming to the living stone does not refer to our first coming to faith in Christ, that conversion. Rather, it is a continuous coming to Jesus in faith. We don't stop coming to Jesus. We come to him for forgiveness. We come to him for grace. We come to him to, uh, for strength to face the challenges of life. We come to him with our praise. We come to him with our tears. We come to him for help, for comfort, for blessings upon our lives, and for many other things. We come to him because he has invited us to come to him. And so today, I want to focus on our text today on 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 7, and, uh, 7 through 10. And two points that we particularly want to see this morning is, one is that we are, we are going to look at the rejected stone, and secondly, the redeemed people. The rejected stone and the redeemed people. The apostle uh, Peter says this, Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. Right? This stone is precious. 
But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And then right in further he says this, And a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. You see, chapter 2, verse 7, gives us a contrast between two groups of people. To those who believe in Jesus, the living stone is precious. But to those who have rejected Jesus Christ, he is a stone that causes men to stumble. Now, there are three passages in the Old Testament that makes reference to the cornerstone or to the capstone that we might uh, we want to call that. In Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16, which we looked at last week, and I won't go into that this morning. And then today, I want to refer to the other two passages, Psalm 118, particularly verses 22 and 23, and Isaiah chapter 8, verses 14 to 15. In Psalm 118, verses 22 to 23, we read this, The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice. I know it's Chinese New Year, but this is also the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. You see, have you lost the rejoicing in the Lord? You see, the psalmist is saying that. This is the capstone, and I'm going to unpack that in a moment. But this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and Be glad in it. Are you rejoicing in the Lord? Think about that. Be thankful to God that this is the day that he has made. That this is the day that he has given us life. That this is the day he has given us the breath of life. That he has given us the joy of our salvation. That he has forgiven us. We unpack these things. But this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice in it. Yes, all my troubles come my way. Don't get me wrong. We have all the pressures of life, the trials, the testings, the temptations. But this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. The psalmist says in Psalm 118, see, this is the whole context here, right, of this psalm. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Let me say some things about Psalm 118. Psalm 118 is a psalm that celebrates the deliverance from Egypt to Jerusalem. It's a fantastic psalm. You can read it and you'll see, you'll see echoes of that deliverance message coming through in that psalm. It is a psalm of praise to God. How good is our God? And parts of this psalm echo for us The exodus from Egypt, as I mentioned, particularly verse 14 of the psalm, is a direct aspect from Exodus chapter 15 and verse 2 of Moses' song of victory. And Psalm 118 is a messianic psalm. It was one of the psalms that the Israelites sang at the close of the Passover meal. And the understanding among many scholars is that this is one of the psalms that Jesus and the disciples sang It was a very special occasion when they sang uh, this particular psalm. When do you think it was? It was at the conclusion of the institution of the Lord's Supper. 
We see that, don't we? In Mark chapter 14. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Imagine that. The Passover meal, now Jesus is instituting the Lord's Supper, and in the entire Lord's Supper is a message of rejection, sacrifice, love, justice. And Jesus and the disciples sing a hymn, and it's quite possible, Psalm 118 was part of the, the Psalms that they sang, so Psalm 115 to 118. They would have sung it. That's why we sing at church. The Lord's Supper reminds us of that. And, um, and, and it's about the rejection of the Messiah itself in Psalm 118. And then we look at um, Isaiah chapter 8, 14 and 15. Isaiah says this in this passage. And he will be a sanctuary, but for both houses of Israel, he will be a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble, they will fall and be broken, they will be snared and captured. You see, a stone of stumbling was a stone that people could trip over. For example, when you're walking along the pathway or wherever, and you don't see a stone, what happens? You hit your foot on it, your toe on it, right? And you might trip over it. That's the idea here in this psalm, in, 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 in Isaiah. The rock of offense was the rock that they could be crushed against if they fell. So this stone would stumble them, they would fall, and this rock becomes an offense because they can be crushed by it. Uh, one writer puts it this way, in Peter's symbolism, the Jews threw away the true cornerstone, then wound up the falling over, over it to be finally crushed in judgment by the same rock. I'll explain that. It's tragic. They rejected the Messiah. We see this, for example, in the parable of the tenants, where Jesus quotes exactly Psalm 118 and verse 22. You know the parable of the tenants in... Um, in, in Luke chapter 20, right? Uh, Jesus told them this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers. He went away for a long time. If you want to look in your Bibles, Luke chapter 20. Uh, at harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him uh, some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him up and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant and so forth. And I'm not going to elaborate on all of that this morning. But this is the main point of that parable, if you look at in Luke chapter 20, verses 17 and 18. Jesus looked at them directly when he said this parable and asked them, then what is the meaning of that which is written? What is the meaning? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. But he on whom it falls will be crushed. And the teachers of the law and the chief priest looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against whom? Against them. That they were afraid of the people. You see that, friends? God was the owner of the vineyard. The teachers of the law and the chief priests, Israel's rulers and the people were the wicked and evil tenants. The servants were treated badly. They were the prophets, the Old Testament, the son who was killed who was he? It's Jesus. So 1 Peter chapter 2 is so special then. And Jesus quotes Psalm 118 verse 22. 
In fact, uh, this, this Psalm 118 and verse 22 meant a lot to, pe- uh, to Peter. Let me say why. The first time he used it was when he was before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4. When he preached there, in Acts chapter 4, he had preached a powerful message. Right? There was uh, healing that has taken place. The ministry was going in a, in a powerful way. And then in verse 8 in Acts chapter 4, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. And then he said this, he is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no other name. See that? Salvation is found in no other name, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Do you see that? Here's Peter. He's seen Jesus. He was there. He was there at the, at the crucifixion. He had denied Christ. And now the power of the Holy Spirit, and he says, the, 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 the stone that the builders rejected is now the capstone. And there is no other name by which you can be saved. The name is, is Jesus. Is the name precious to you? How precious is your name? People will, will take others to court, isn't it? When their name is brought into discredit or their reputations are destroyed. What about the name of Jesus? Very flippantly used. We see it on our TVs, don't we? We hear it. We hear it all the time. It becomes a swear word at times. But the name of Jesus is precious. Is precious to God. Is he precious to you? Salvation is found in no other name. Why is he precious, friends? Because he's the incarnate one, the promised Messiah, the sacrificial lamb of God. He entered our world, born without sin. He is the redeemer, and his name is precious because there is no other name by which we must be saved. You see, it was wonderful to hear, uh, see that uh, the, the, the video clip this morning on Engage. I was seated here listening to Sam Moody, and uh, you see, I mean... We've got all these theological scholars here now in this church. Right? People will be looking at the word and thinking, Chris, what's the big picture idea in 1, 1 Peter chapter 2? Just come to the point, Chris. What is it? Well, let me tell you, friends, the big picture idea is the preciousness of God's Son, the preciousness of His people, and the preciousness of God's call to His people. That's a big picture idea in, in 1 Peter chapter 2. Christ is precious. You see, some love the crucified Christ and some don't. To others, he is not precious. Perhaps just a good man. They reject Jesus. But no matter what people's view of Jesus is, they will all have to stand one day before him as a judge because there is no other name by which men will be saved. They will be crushed in judgment. Without salvation in Jesus. And then Peter goes on, and we see this as the redeemed people of God. He says, 
that is those people who reject Jesus, the Old Testament prophets, uh, proclaimed Christ, the Jews rejected the Messiah, Jesus Christ himself. He was crucified by his own. He was not welcomed by his own. But the transition is here in verse 2, 9, and 10. What do we say? But, this is those, the, the, the other people rejected Christ, but you, you are different. Why? Why are we different? Because you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you see that? Once, this is the rejected people in the world today, but you are a chosen people. How's that? How's that, eh? How's that for the contrast? The world passes by. The Jews rejected the Messiah. But Peter says this, don't worry. You are a special people. Very precious to God. Did you see that this morning? Let's unpack this for a moment. See, you are a chosen generation. That's the Greek text there. All those Greek scholars here this morning. A transition here. It's, 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 it's a chosen generation. Peter had already referred them to uh, his people as a chosen people in, in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1. In the Old Testament, we read that God chose Israel to be his people. We see that in Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 15. I am the Lord, your holy one, Israel's creator, your king. And then in Isaiah chapter 43, the wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, but because I provide water in the desert and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people, what is it? What's it saying there? In Isaiah chapter 43, in that part, verse 21, the people I formed. For whom? For myself. Why? That we may just sit back, fold our arms, get one of those hammocks and go from this way to the other side? No, no. Why are we here as a church? Hey? I'm in a very comfortable place here, beautiful building. We thank God for our board of management. It does a lot of work around this place. You know the outside, the walls, uh, sorry, the, the, the doors and window frames are all being painted this past week. Is that why we're here for? To maintain this beautiful stone building? We thank God for it, don't get me wrong. But why are we here? Come on. It's there in the text. In Isaiah chapter 43, and I'm going to unpack that later in in 1 Peter, that we may declare the praises, that we may proclaim my praise, God says. That's our mission. Here God makes it known that he is Israel's Savior. He will redeem them. And now Peter applies this to all believers to all who have trusted in Christ as their Savior. This salvation is now beyond Israel. It incorporates us Gentiles. The gospel message now is to all nations. So we have here, for example, in our congregation, 
people from Singapore, people from China, people from Vietnam, people from Sri Lanka, people from Holland, from have I missed any? Scotland. Oh yes. Oh boy. Yeah. Right. We have we have Indians. We have Australians. We have Egyptians. Oh, I should not forget that. Malaysians. Oh, I mean, uh, Koreans all across the world. God is bringing a multicultural congregation because the gospel has gone beyond Israel. I mean, you as a congregation, you got two Asian guys as, as your ministers leading us as a congregation. You've coped with my accent. I mean, you've coped with John's accent. You've coped with mine for 10 years. You've coped with my English. You've coped with everything of my... You know me quite well, I'm sure. I mean, this is the world that God has, has, has see, the gospel has gone out. He has chosen a people unto himself from all over the world. It's a global gospel. We have a global message. We have a global church that Christ is building. We are not the only church. God's church is spread across the world. The true church is the church that honors Jesus Christ as King and Lord that says that there is no way to God except through Jesus Christ, his Son. That's it. You see, and Peter reminds his readers of God's grace to them, does he not? In choosing them to belong to God. And this grace is not only to them, but to all who trust in Jesus. We are a chosen people. We're not a frozen people. And we are a chosen people for Christ. That's what it is. As Christians, we are his people. It is God's choice to give the gift of salvation. Is God unfair? We had this massive debate with somebody this past week. I would name the person. How is God unfair that he would choose a people unto himself? What about the other people? I don't know. I don't want to get into the mind of God. It is up to God who he saves. That is sure. None of us can convert anybody. No one can claim credit for that. But addressing the question, if God is fair or not in choosing a people unto himself, the Apostle Paul says this in Romans. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. And he has extended his mercy by drawing you to himself. And that does not mean, my dear friends, a hyper-Calvinistic view that you take, that you will not be going out and doing evangelism because God has chosen a people, so I better sit back, we do nothing, no gospel work, it's all going to happen. No. That's an extreme view. We are called to take the gospel. And if you are called by God to be his child, what should he do to you? You should be thanking God that he has given you uh, the gift of salvation. Do you earn a gift? Today, if somebody decides to give you one of those red pockets thing, you know, with money in it or whatever, do you earn it? No. Just receive it, isn't it? So God has done. We are a chosen people. Then further he says, it's a royal priesthood. This is the second time that Peter has referred to believers as the priesthood, the holy priesthood, in verse 5. In the Old Testament, the priesthood was given to the tribe of Levi. The role of the priest in the Old Testament was to bring the people to God through the sacrifice of animals as a payment for their sins. Now, 
I met a lady a few months ago down my street, and she said, oh, so are you the priest at Surrey Hills? Oh, man, are you the priest? I've been called priest. I've been called father, right? Uh, I've been, of course, called pastor. Are you the priest? I said, that. no, I'm not actually the priest. We don't have priests in the Presbyterian church. What? What do you do then? I said, oh, I'm, I'm just one of the people there, but I lead God's people there in the church. Oh, so you're not a priest. Anyway, I didn't get into all the big debates there. but You see, we have the priesthood of believers, right? We are the priesthood of believers. If you were, if you were to be a priest in the Old Testament, you had to be from the tribe of, of, the, of Levi. Here's something interesting for us. Jesus was not from the tribe of Levi. Instead, he was from the tri- tribe of... Maybe we are studying Genesis and the evening services. Come on. From the tribe of whom? Judah, Right? And it was through the tribe of Judah that God would bring his son into the world. The kingdom, the king would come from the tribe of Judah. How is it that Jesus is then the priest? As uh, mentioned in in the book of Hebrews. You see, Peter uses, and I'll, I'll respond to that in a moment. Peter uses the word kingdom or royal priesthood that brings into focus a king. And it also adds to this the dimension of the kingdom. But Jesus is both king and priest. Why and how? Well, Zechariah chapter 6.13. It is he who will build the temple of the Lord and he will be clothed with majesty and he will sit and rule on his throne. And then he will be a priest on his throne and there will be harmony between the two. Do you see that? Christ is both king and priest. And the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross once and for all annulled the Aaronic priesthood and the need of Jesus as a high priest in the book of Hebrews. There is no need to continue offering up literal animal sacrifices anymore. And as the perfect son of God and high priest, Jesus established a new covenant and believers are now priests in the kingdom of, of this priesthood. John Calvin puts it quite well. When he says this, Christ once for all offered a sacrifice of eternal expiation, that is his life given, and reconciliation. Now having also entered the sanctuary of heaven, he intercedes for us. In him we are all priests. But to offer praises and thanksgiving, in short, to offer ourselves and ours to God, it was his office alone to appease God and atone for sins by his offering. That's why, friends, we don't have a Pope. We don't have a head in the Presbyterian Church as such. Yes, we have a moderator, but he is not, uh, he, he is, he's not the Pope. We don't need that anymore. There is the priesthood of believers. Christ is the high priest. No one else. You don't need to go through someone else to get to God, do you? Do you? No. We come to God directly through whom? The high priest, Jesus, who has entered the heavens once and for all. What a beautiful picture that is. And you are now, and we are, the priesthood of believers. Jesus is our substitute, is a perfect sacrifice on our behalf. 
And we are now part of the priesthood of believers. And what does that mean, mean to us, friends? You see, the priesthood of believers does not preclude the existence of ministers and elders in the church. I must say that very clearly. The Bible is very clear about such officers that the Lord himself has given to his church. Not everyone is an ordained minister. Not everyone is an ordained elder. All right? That is clear. It's biblical. Uh, Martin Luther, when he spoke of the priesthood of believers, he said this. Luther did not make the distinction between the officers of the church and Sorry, Luther did make the distinction between the officers of the church and the laity. The role of the pastor teacher is to equip the people for ministry and missions. But the priesthood of all believers includes this, friends, that we offer our bodies as now a living sacrifice that is pleasing to whom? To God. Do you? Romans chapter 12. When is the last time you came and said, Lord, I want to offer to you my mind my body, my gifts, my talents, and my life to you as a living sacrifice. That's it. That's one thing we do as priests. Another thing we can do as the priesthood of believers is to intercede for one another in prayer. Praying for each other. Do you pray? Do we pray for one another? Do we know what's going on in each other's lives? Maybe this is a challenge for you. You say, well, tell me something that you, I can pray for you this week. How's that? Right? When you go, and ra- go around meeting people, you know the people quite well, is there something that I can pray for you this week? The beginning the ministry of prayer. Okay, let's keep moving on. You're a holy nation. I'm not going to unpack some of these things uh, to a great extent this morning for purposes of time. You're a holy nation. God has set you apart. Further we see that our lives are going to be different from the world. You are set apart. You will not be speaking the same language as your friends, perhaps, who speak in all kinds of stuff. This is not just moral things that we are speaking of. We are talking about a holiness that God has given to us. He has set you apart. His Holy Spirit has sealed you and made you holy. Alright? That's a blessing. Wonderful blessing. You are a people belonging to God. A special possession. Once you were not a people. You look at that and think, well, what were we? Were we animals before? Of course not. That's not the, 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 what the text is saying. Once you were not a people, that is, you were not the people of God. But now, you are God's special possession. Isaiah says this. Uh, in fact, uh, let me see that if I have that quote. I'll just leave that for now. Isaiah chapter 40, 49 and verse 16. Do I have that? Okay, it's there. 49 and verse 16, it says this. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Now, you can all look at your palms. Some of you might have sweaty palms, right? Whatever your palms might be like, reminds you something. That God has, I mean, come on, the palms, right? We give high fives and all that to people, don't we? You know what that means, right? The palm of God's hand. It's, 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 it's using language that we can understand. That not that God has got a palm, it's got a hand, his spirit, we know that. But he's engraved you on the palm of his hands because you are precious. You see, when you hold your child, a little kid, you, those of you are little children, right? Well, I don't know whether you hold your teenage children's hands when you walk. I don't think that easily happens. But if you have, if you have a little child, what is the first thing a mother or father does? Hold the child with their hands Hold up and clutch the fingers around the palm and gently take them, don't we? 
Don't you do that as parents? Because you're giving them love, you're giving them security, you're saying to them you are precious. The same thing that God has done. Engraved your name on his palms. He has marked you with a seal. They have received mercy, friends. We are a people who receive mercy. God has not dealt with us the way our sins deserve. He's given us mercy. So how do we apply this text? What should we be doing? So we see this morning that our identity, who we are, we are in Christ. Many will reject Jesus, but to us who believe, he is precious. Don't be discouraged. We guard and protect the name of Jesus because he is precious to you and for me. People will scorn the name of Jesus at uni, at school, wherever you are, but you don't get discouraged because Christ is precious too, to you. Right? Okay, let me say that. The other thing we see in terms of application is to encourage us this morning to know that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, a people who have received mercy. We don't have a temple anymore today. We are the temple of God. And knowing these truths should help us to live with confidence before our God. And Peter says this, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light, that we may declare this and make it known. It is telling something unknown. We are to publish. This is the first word, first time this word is used here in the New Testament. Proclaim. No other place. The word actually is translated to advertise, to publish. It is to make something that is unknown known to the world. And what are we to publish? We are to exercise, we are to publish, advertise the excellencies of Christ. What are the excellencies of Christ? Peter says this. You've been called from darkness into light. That's the contrast. Darkness is a place where no light intrudes. And when the Bible speaks of darkness, it refers to evil. Does it not? There is a, a wonderful phrase uh, in, in Latin. Uh, it was one of the Reformation uh, phrases, and I'm going to wrap up this message in a moment. Right? This darkness and light concept. It's actually called, let me get it up there. Now, I'm not a Latin scholar, and there may be Latin scholars here. It's called post tenebras lux. Is that correct? Well, that's how I think it's pronounced. It basically means this. After darkness, light. After darkness, light. It was a motto that was used in the 16th century Reformation. And we see four figures up there, right? This is a monument at Geneva. I was speaking to one of our senior ministers uh, uh, this past week about this very thing. And he'd been there to Geneva, and he said he's, he's seen this motto there. Um, it's, it's a monument at Geneva set up to honor the great reformers, like Pharaoh, for Calvin, Biza, and Knox, the great reformers. And inscribed on this 300 feet long wall, behind the monument is the phrase, post tenebrax lasx, which means God has called us out of darkness to light. It's an amazing thing when God brings light of salvation into the darkness of the human soul. We are to proclaim this Jesus in a dark world. Don't you think so? We are to sing the excellencies of Christ. And as we do that, friends, there will be times of discouragement. Ministry times will be hard. Your friends will say all kinds of things. So how do we apply this? 
We sing the excellencies of Christ by saying, this is what God has done. He has called me from darkness to light. And he wants you to come into that light. And I want to share. You don't get into debates with people. You just want to share what Christ has done in your life and mine. That's wonderful. That's the application here. To proclaim we have a purpose. To proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness of paganism into the wonderful light of the gospel. And as the light of the world, we are to declare this gospel of God, not only in this church, but beyond Surrey Hills and into the world. I want to close with this. We had a meeting last week, some of us as elders, and we're planning our, our elders' retreat to set up a plan for five years, by God's grace, for the future of this congregation. I want you to pray with us, and primarily in the center of this, our discussion is to make Christ known and to proclaim his excellencies in this world. Friends, I will encourage you, as I close, rejoice in the Lord, for this is the day the Lord has made. I'm missing someone this morning who would normally respond in this place. Uh, right? This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And remember that God has called you. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people who've been set apart God's position, and a people who received mercy. Why? Because we may proclaim the excellencies of our great Savior. I pray God will encourage your heart this morning as you leave this place to know that you are engraved in the palm of God, in, in, the, in, in the palm of God's hands, engraved your name because you are precious to him. Amen. Let's close. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we are chosen and redeemed by you, Lord, loved by your grace and set apart, brought out from darkness into light. We pray that we proclaim the excellencies of Christ to our friends, our family members, those around us. I pray this morning that you would bring to mind, in the quietness of our heart, the name of one person that we will be able to share the excellencies about the excellencies of Christ in the coming days. Just bring to mind one person, Lord. And we lift those people before you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.